Father, we are here to proclaim to you that we are in desperate need of you, that we need you to be our vision, Lord. We do not want to be led by our emotions. We don't want to be led by what we feel. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. Father, we want to make a choice every day to say, Spirit, lead me. Lead me to where I I need to be more like Jesus. And so, Father, that is our prayer, that you would be our vision. Father, that we are blind without the freedom and the blood of Jesus. Father, we don't want to be the blind leading the blind. We want you, God, and your spirit to be our vision. So that is our prayer today. Father, we need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, It's time for our quarterly missions offering next week. And so I just want to highlight uh, some of those missionaries that we support and a couple updates this time. Um, First of all, you know, uh, we sent Pablo and uh, Bethany Calderon out to Romania this past month. I got a picture of them up here. And uh, we're we're officially, they're commending or sending church. Uh, We commended them to the grace of the Lord as they did in the book of Acts. And so they're settling in there. They're, uh, you know, they're going to be working with the school, as he talked about, a part-time job at the school to make connections to people. Uh, he's going to be traveling around with the music band, The Ineloquent, uh, with Dana Georgiana Akins, who we also support. And so um, we just want to keep them in prayer, keep them in our minds and thoughts as they're adjusting to life. He's been there a few times. This is her first time. Uh, so you can just imagine new culture, new language, just everything that goes with that. So. Um, and then next here, I want to highlight uh, Lo- Lucas and Lois Richard. Um, if you're new within the last couple of years, you, you p- might not know Lois, but my sister Lois, who has been active in our church her whole life and ministries here, um, married Lucas a couple years ago and went to Ireland. He was a missionary in Ireland. And then within a year, Ireland sent him home. Uh, he had been there three years, and the country just kind of clamped down on visas now. So uh, the past couple of years, he's been, they've been down in Louisiana and in Texas a little bit, and they've been uh, just praying what the Lord would have them do. And uh, they just feel very certain that the Lord has called them back to full-time missionary work again. And so their desire is for the people in Liberia. Liberia is kind of a, a country of a little over 6 million people on the west coast of Africa. It's English-speaking. And uh, he's been there a few times, and he just has a love for those people and really wants to invest in those people long term. Um, and so he, he has a heart for discipleship and ministries in the villages, and, and also Lois and him together with the women and children there. And I was reading about Liberia. If you're interested in what God is doing in any part of the world, the book you have to have is Operation World. Operation World. And it's kind of like the encyclopedia of what every country's population is made of, the religions there, the, what God is doing there, how to pray for those people. And, uh, and I was reading about Liberia last night, and it's interesting. This is a, a war-torn country. In the 90s, they had two civil wars. Uh, many hundreds of thousands of people died and also left the country. Uh, they've started to come back and rebuild the country, but it's a very needy country. 75% of the people are without a job. Most of the people live on less than a dollar a day. And so it's just a very physically needy country, but also a spiritually needy country. It sounds like a safe place now. I was just talking to Alfonso a little bit. Sounds like things are improving there. Um, and and the, you know, what was that virus scare? Uh, trying to think of the name. 
Ebola, right, Ebola. And so that, that has all been cleared. The travel to and in other country is safe. It's the World Health Organization has declared it safe. And uh, so the, the elders here have been in contact with Lucas and Lois, and, and we feel like we should be a part of this ministry. We feel like the Lord is wanting us to support them, pray with them um, any way we can. And so we, we've also commended them to this work in Liberia, again, just as we did a few years ago for Ireland. And so let's just be in prayer for them, and we're going to include them in this offering too. They're, um, they're going to need to buy plane tickets. They're hoping to go next March. So just uh, be in prayer for that and uh, be thinking of Lucas and Lois. So uh, Matt and Trista Deaver just want to real quick um, remind you to be praying for them. They're in Nepal, which is, uh, you know, you got the Himalayan mountains out there, and they're also learning the language. They're trying to sow seeds and meet people. Um, and so just keep them in your prayers as well. Matt, as you know, grew up in our youth group here, if you've been here a long time. Um, so then there's some other missionaries we support too that will be a part of this offering to a lesser degree, but we want to keep praying for them and supporting them. Dana Georgiana Aikens in Romania, Micah and Amy Tuttle in Peru, um, Bob and Sukona in Uganda, we've supported all those for a long time. And then Colin and Diane Lord have gone back to the missions field in Papua New Guinea uh, to support Bible translation efforts there in Papua New Guinea. They were here on a Wednesday night a couple months ago. I'm going to pray for these missionaries and, and for the offering we'll take next week. And then uh, we're also going to have a special elders prayer time for a, for a special couple that's uh, moving to another city here. So we'll do that in a moment. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the work you're doing around the world. You are a great God. You are working in every part of the earth. And uh, we just thank you that you're doing a work in Liberia and Peru and uh, Uganda and Romania and, and Nepal, all parts of the world, Lord. You, your hand is at work through your servants. And we just uphold them before you for uh, help where they need it, whether it's learning the language or um, just sowing seeds of the gospel, making contacts and reaching out to people. Help them to be encouraged and not discouraged. Um, help them, guard them against the enemy's efforts to stop what they're doing. And may your kingdom advance forward and may souls be won to you, uh, to your glory. May your kingdom grow. And we just ask for your blessing on our offering. We take this next week for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite uh, Gary and Naomi Hillesheim up here and uh, any elders who'd like to join me in praying for them. This is their last week with us. It's sad uh, for me and I... I've loved you guys, and great, great to get to know you a little better in a small group last year. And so it's kind of bittersweet. We know Gary has to move on for a job, and I'll give him a minute here to talk about that. But uh, we're, we just want to pray for you guys and send you off with our blessing this morning. And Gary, let, why don't I give you a chance to tell about what you guys are doing there? Sure. Uh, so we're moving to Marion, um, and we found a really nice house. I kind of got the, the uh, leave to Beaverfield when I was there. So uh, the, my job is I work for the Department of Homeland Security with TSA. Um, I took a promotion there, and uh, so far, I've really enjoyed it. I've stayed there for, what, two months now? Three months? I've got an apartment. But I really need my family, so <laughs> I'm pretty excited to actually uh, be able to move and have my family there. So, Yeah, so, so you've, you've had to go ahead of your family and, and start working there with the Homeland Security TSA job, and now you get your family to join you, so that's a blessing. <laughs> and, uh, and the house sold fine, and we've been praying about that, too, and I know a lot of people helped prepare for that, so that's... Supposed to sell on the 23rd. We'll just pray that that goes through with no problems then. 
All right, well, if, if my fellow elders just want to lay a hand on you guys, and uh, we'll, we'll just commit you to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Gary and Naomi and their, and their sweet girls, and uh, we just thank you that they can now be together with Gary's new job, and we just pray you'd bless them and go with them and help them to become part of a, a fellowship of believers there that would be a blessing to them and help them in their spiritual growth and support them as a family and where they could also use their spiritual gifts and be a blessing uh, to that body of believers. And so just thank you for them. Thank you for the time we've had with them. Uh, it seems too short for us, but uh, we just thank you for them and just the, just the years we've gotten to know them. And just we just ask, Lord, that you would be with them and go before them and, and just help them to raise these three girls, Lord, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that they might grow up to be women of God who would seek after your heart. And we just... Um, Bless, ask for your blessing on Gary's job, Lord. It's a, it's, a, it's a job that can be rough at times in Homeland Security TSA work, Lord. And we just pray that he could be a light and a witness to all those he encounters in that realm. And help Naomi as she's raising the girls, Lord. Just bless her in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, now I'm going to ask Marge McKeever to come up. And she's got an update for us on Project Angel Tree. Good morning. Most of you, I think, probably know about Angel Tree, but some of us may not know about it. It's a, a division of the prison uh, fellowship ministries, and it offers the prisoners can go to their counselor, request gifts be delivered to their children who are still at home, and this helps to keep the prisoners connected with their family. We have, this year, we have, I believe it's 25 children and 11 families, 11 or 12 families that we have. And we are distributing our tags this morning. And you'll see these on the back wall in the fellowship hall. You can take one of these down, decide which one you want to give to, and then come to the table and fill out a card with your name and your phone number so we will know who it is that it has that particular angel. This year we're doing something a little different in that we're also we try every year to do something that will bless the caregivers. This year, we're going to give the caregivers a gift bag. And there, will, there, is, there are 12 gift bags back there that have a tag on them with suggestions on how you might, what you might put into that bag. All of these gifts will be delivered to the families between the 7th of December and Christmas. And I hope you join me in blessing these families. It's, really has been quite a blessing. I, a couple of years ago, we had a grandfather that uh, sent us a note thanking us for bringing the family back together. So it's a ministry that reaches out to all members of the family, and I hope you join me in blessing these families. Thank you. Thanks, Marge. Um, I think it's pretty incredible that Marge gives so much time to, to Angel Tree because, um, I mean, she's done it year in, year, in and year out, uh, and she really cares for uh, these people, but this year she's doing that in the midst of trying to care for her own husband, and so we need to be praying for Marge and Mike, because um, Mike is not doing well health-wise, and so um, just really be lifting her up, and Marge, I think it's amazing that you have, you have this heart, but we're praying for you at home too, so um, actually let's just pray for her right now, and pray for Angel Tree. God, we... Uh, we just lift up um, Marge and Mike to you. Uh, I just pray that you would give them your strength beyond understanding. 
Um, God, our desires that you would heal um, Mike, that you would give him more time on this earth. Father, thank you for his heart. Um, thank you that he loves you and he finds his joy in you. Thank you that Marge loves you. Um, Father, you have um, done miracles through them. And, uh, and part of those miracles has to do with Angel Tree as well. And I, I just pray, um, God, that salvation would come uh, to some of the people that are served through Angel Tree. Uh, Father, that um, the kind of love that Jesus gives is uh, sometimes uh, confusing to the world. Like, why would anybody love like that? Um, but that's what we're called to do. And so I pray, um, Father, that you would just be their strength, um, that you would be their shelter, that you are their sustenance, Lord. Um, and just thank you for the example that they are to all of us. We love you, God, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week has been somewhat interesting for our family. Um, it's been like a, the redefining of what it means to rely on the strength of God. Within the last 48 hours, my entire family has been uh, sick, like throw up, both ends kind of sick. And uh, so like somebody asked me this morning, how'd you do that? Like you only have three bathrooms in your house. <laughs> you can imagine how we did that. <laughs> Buckets, everything. But uh, it's, it's been, so if I, if I just um, don't make it through this, uh, you'll understand why. No, I'm just thankful that uh, everybody, it's, it's almost like sometimes you, you, when you're sick, you're like, oh man, the feeling of not being sick anymore is so awesome. This is like, being sick ain't that bad. You know, like, if I get sick, I know that the feeling afterwards is so good that I'm not sick anymore that uh, it's almost weird. You know, it's not like I want to be sick, but, hey, if I can feel like I feel after I'm sick, it feels so much better, that's great. But, uh, anyway, that doesn't mean anything for you. Our mission statement here at Creekside is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And in our everyday life, we can think of, especially this past year, we've thought of it in the simple phrase, occupy your street. And your street is everywhere that you go on a regular basis. It includes where you live, but it's everyone that you run into. And your street is unique to you. It's not the same as mine. It's not the same as your spouse's. It's not the same as anybody in your family's. It might overlap, which is a good thing. Um, but our job is to occupy our street with the love of Jesus. And so when I look at the story of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I look at Jesus' life, I see this consistently where it says, and this was happening, so Jesus went, right? Whether it was a wedding, a party, a festival, a feast, wherever culture was happening, Jesus went and he implanted himself in the middle of culture. And then what did he do when he got there? He served. Like, Jesus made the choice, I am going to serve these people according to the culture that I'm in right now. And so Jesus served, and when he served, people were baffled by that. And for Jesus, it may have been um, physically serving them, like he washed his disciples' feet, like he turned water into wine. It could have been um, healing somebody. It could have been praying. I mean, whatever it was, Jesus had a servant's heart for people. And when he did that, it actually gave him a platform to then speak to people the gospel. Right? That's what Jesus did. And then, yes, he also took time away every single day. I mean, you see times in the Bible where it says Jesus got up early. 
and he went and he spent time with his father. He was refreshed by his father. Why did he do that? He did that so that he could then go back out and be in the midst of culture refreshed, right? And so in occupying our streets like Jesus did, like we talked about last week, we stay attached to the vine. We abide in Jesus and be refreshed, refreshed daily in his word, right? Renewing your mind, not being transformed to this world, but re- renew your mind daily so that we can go implant ourselves in the happenings of culture. I think so many of us are afraid of culture. So many, so many of us are afraid. Now, yes, culture changes, and we don't always stand with the changes of culture. But it does not mean we do not implant ourselves in the middle of it to try to influence it. But the only way that we are going to be able to influence culture and not be influenced by culture is if we are abiding in him. Right? If, if we are spending time strengthening ourselves in the word of God, spending time communing with him, being refreshed by him, coming here on a Sunday morning, being refreshed by each other from his word, that's the only way that we then get to go out and plant ourselves in culture and influence culture to change rather than being influenced by culture and the evil in this world to change. You get what I'm saying? That's what Jesus did, and that's how we occupy our street like Jesus did. We get into culture, then we get to serve people, and it gives us a platform to preach the gospel. Because people, people aren't willing to listen to someone whose walk does not match their talk, right? But when we go and are among these people, we get to, we get to share the gospel with them. Because they, they see and understand we're not condemning but we want people to run to Jesus, right? So uh, before we dig into James chapter 4, I want to share um, what's going on for Christmas time. Christmas time is coming up. It's a pretty um, exciting time of year for us. Um, but I just want to run, run through some like Christmas schedule stuff. December 11th is really when we're going to start our Christmas theme, which is a king from small things. We're going to focus on um, the humility that it took in uh, different characters in the, uh, in the Christmas story, the humility and, and the fact that Jesus' life and everything that surrounded Jesus started from humble things, from small things. And you wouldn't expect the life of the king of the universe to start from such small, humble beginnings, but that's the way it was. And so on December 11th, we're going to have our kids' Christmas program. Then December 18th, we will have a message specifically about a king from small things. And then Christmas morning is, uh, is a Sunday, all right? So get this. If you show up on Christmas morning here, you will be the only person here, unless other people make the same mistake. We are not having church Christmas morning. We are going to have Christmas Eve uh, Saturday night, 5 o'clock for one hour. We're going to kind of model it after a church service, but that's when you can invite uh, people. So it kinda, we're going to have church um, Christmas Eve service, all of the above, on December 24th at 5 p.m. Anyway, um, we're in the middle of our series on mail from James, and so you can go ahead and get to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we're just going to continue on. We're going to do the whole chapter. Um, but the, the book of James is is really a how-to for so many areas of the Christian life, how to live out the sanctification process. Again, sanctification means is essentially a big word to say the process of us becoming more like 
Jesus, right? The process of us becoming more like Jesus. So if you hear me use that word, that's what that means. So let's get to James chapter 4. We're going to read through it, and then we'll get going. James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and, can, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that, a, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is uh, to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such, such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So the title this morning uh, of this message is going to be The Needy and the Righteous. The needy and the righteous, like the young and the restless. Although I don't think I've ever seen that entire movie, so that I don't even know if that's that's like a appropriate, <laughs> you know, parallel. But who cares? Um, it just helps you remember it. The needy and the righteous, right? The, by needy, I mean that we understand our need for a savior, right? That we understand our need for a Savior. So here's the big idea that I want you to write down. If you're writing anything down, if you're texting anything yourself, I don't care, lock it in here. This is what I want you to remember this morning. The pathway to righteousness is humility. The pathway to righteousness is humility. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the proof is in the pudding, right? God knows what is in the heart of every single person, but the world wants to see what you do prove what you say. If we preach the gospel, if we preach the love of Jesus, if we preach a certain standard of morality in life, then our life better match up what we say or we lose the platform to reach people who are far from God. We understand this, right? We know this. 
I think we understand it some in our heads, but we still need to work on living that out in our lives. I mean, that's just the way it is. So when I say the pathway to righteousness, I don't mean righteous positionally. Because when Jesus died for us, for those people who have come to Jesus for salvation, we are made right. Like if you've come to Jesus for salvation, you are righteous positionally when God looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus covers you. I also don't mean that we're, we're seeking to live perfection because that's impossible. You will not live perfection until you see Jesus face to face someday. And his grace, Jesus' grace, covers us when we screw up. We don't screw up on purpose, right? But when we mess up, he says, get up and keep going. But the Bible says things like this, okay? When someone comes to Jesus for salvation, it says things like this. The old has gone and the new has come. There's a change. There's a difference between the old you and the new you in salvation in Jesus. It says this. We have been transformed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There's a difference. There's a change. Jesus says, if you love me, then obey my commands. God says, be holy, for I am holy. So the meaning of righteous living, I'm not talking about positionally. You are positionally perfect before God. You are righteous before God. So what we're talking about when we when we'd say that the pathway to righteousness is humility, I mean the pathway to righteous living, right? We want there to be a change in our lives, and I can tell you this, when you come to Jesus for salvation and you actually give up and let the Holy Spirit of God change you, the way that you live will be different, right? It doesn't mean that times in your life you won't struggle, right? You will struggle. You will struggle. There will always be this temptation to sin, but the person who you were before you came to Jesus in the way that we live out our lives will be different, right? The life-giving power of the cross and the leading of the Holy Spirit changes a person's life. That's the gospel. Here's the deal. I was talking to someone else, someone at a coffee shop a few days ago, and this, this idea and this thought in their minds that, no, like, I asked, what, what do you believe about Jesus? Like, what are you doing with Jesus? And he says, man, uh, I don't know. Like, I need Jesus, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I got, there's this stuff in my life right now that is just screwed up. And I don't, I don't think that, you know, I'm ready for that yet. And that's the idea that a lot of people have. It's like, no, I'm so messed up that God couldn't possibly forgive me. I got to get all this stuff straight in my life before I come to Jesus. Right, Because I am not ready to live that sort of life. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not clean yourself up so that Jesus will accept you and then you can live. Right? No, the gospel is come to Jesus the way that you are and then let him change you. He accepts you not because of who you are. He accepts you because of who he is and what Jesus has done. So you come to Jesus and then he changes you. You let Jesus change you. So when we read James 4... It is really revealing to us the contrast between our natural way of thinking before we come to Jesus, the way we were born, the way every single person is born into this world is natural, is selfish, is worldly, is sinful. I can tell you this, 
Even a baby, before they have made the decision, any decisions in their life to sin, I promise you that they eventually will. You don't have to teach your kids to do bad things. They do that plenty on their own, right? But you do have to teach your kids what is godly. You do have to teach your kids what is right. And we naturally will choose what is wrong. We naturally will run to things that will only temporarily fulfill us because we think and we have believed the lie that this thing that I'm running to, this thing that I am naturally doing will fulfill me forever. And it never, ever does, right? So when we live in the Spirit, there should be a difference in my life. Remember, the pathway to righteousness is humility. So let's go back through this and let's look at the pieces of this passage. Verse 1 and 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Here's the deal. Every single person on the planet is addicted to something. Every person on the planet is an addict. Every single one of us in this room has an addictive personality, right? Romans 7.15 says this, Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. There is a battle going on inside of every one of us If you have come to Jesus, there's a battle going on inside of you between your flesh, your natural desire to sin, and the Spirit of God in you. There is a constant pull toward the wrong choice. There is a constant pull toward making bad decisions. There is a constant pull to coveting. There is a constant pull to these things that only cause negative, that only cause, even between the body of Christ, fighting and quarreling and differences that will only ever lead us away from joy in God. There's a constant battle going on. We are addicted to being fulfilled, right? And so we choose the things that we think will fulfill us in the moment. Verse 2 and 3, the end of verse 2 says this, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So the question becomes, where's my heart? What is my heart's real desire? And I, it, it, makes, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right, for you to hear what I'm saying or for me to even preach what I'm saying unless you have made the choice to follow Jesus, Right? So the question becomes, like, even you this morning, I know the majority of the people in this room have made the choice at some point in in their life to follow Jesus. But even for us, the question on a daily basis becomes, who am I following? Remember that the, the message, choose today which kingdom you will serve. It is a daily choice. So you have to make this personal for you right now. In your heart of hearts, do you, you say, do I really desire to follow and pursue God for what he has to offer, even if on a worldly, everyday, passion basis? 
it's, it's not, it might not be fun. It might not be the things that the people around me are enjoying. It might not uh, give me as much temporary right now pleasure. Like, is my heart, is my heart's decision on a daily basis really to pursue and follow God? Or, okay, there's three scenarios here. I want to pursue and follow God. Or, I just want God to fulfill my desires. Like, God becomes my errand boy. Like, God, hey, I want this. I'm going to pray for it, right? And a lot, of those, a lot of times, I mean, this even says that those prayers are about things we want and don't need. Those, th- those prayers are even about f- God fulfilling sinful desires that we may not even know are sinful. Or the last option is you just don't want to follow God, that you have no interest in following God. Like, yeah, that ain't for me, right? But here's the deal. This makes sense to us if our desire is to truly follow God and submit to his will for our life. What is his will for our life? We always focus so much on like, God, what's the next like, thing you want me to do? Well, I can tell you this. The first thing you have to focus on is what is his overarching will for your life. Before you start focusing on, God, what's the next step for me to take? Make this abundantly clear. Make this abundantly clear. Make this abundantly clear. The first decision you have to make is, God, I want to decide what your actual overarching will for my life is. And then that verse that says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That becomes so much clearer and easier when you've understood that God's overarching will for your life is to walk in the Spirit daily becoming more like Jesus, right? Salvation is not just this one time, Jesus saved me. In the moment, he does save you, right? But then the Bible also says, work out your own salvation. If, I'm, if I, if I want to go on a, on a workout program and I just decide, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go work out Monday. And then the next Sunday, it becomes, I'll start tomorrow. And I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow, right? If we only ever make the decision but never actually go to the gym, nothing about you is going to change. You understand that? And so that's what it comes down to. A desire to follow God and submit to his everyday will for my life. In verse 2, he is saying, listen, you don't have because you don't ask. Remember, every single good and perfect gift comes from God in heaven. You don't ask. All you have to do is ask. God wants to give you. He is not a father that if you ask for a piece of bread, will give you a snake. He's not that kind of father. He is a good father. We sing it all the time. He's a good, good father, right? But do we believe that? We, but then it goes on to say, now, some of you are saying, but I do ask. I ask all the time. I ask all the time. And he says, well, you ask, but you ask with the wrong purpose in mind. Why do we think that when we ask God for that new car that is gazillion dollars over our limit, he's going to give it to us, Right? Why do we ask those? Things? Why do we expect that he's going to answer? That's just an example. But this actually goes deeper, and it says when you ask, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We are all addicts. Our natural bent is to do what we want, and here's the deal. Sin can be fun. It is fun sometimes, but it's only fun for a moment. And the truth about sin is it will never 
make you more like Jesus. Sin will never make you more like Jesus, and it only ever gives a foothold to Satan in your life, right? You will sin, but it's what you do after that that matters. It's your desire to move on into the will of God that matters because Satan wants to look at your weaknesses and the places that you struggle the most and get footholds. And the more we give him a foothold, the stronger his hold on us will become. And I do not want Satan to have footholds in my life. In that verse where it says you, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, the Greek word for passions there actually literally means lusts. I mean, lusts are desires that consume you. They're de- desires that consume us that we will naturally, constantly try to fill our lives with our lusts. The things that we are consumed by, we will try to fill our lives with. So what do we do If this is my natural bent, right, what do we do? Even if you have made the choice to come to Jesus for salvation, you still need to make a daily choice. What do we do? Verses 4 through 17. I just want to read these again so you can get the the, the flow and the overall desire of James here. But let's read these again. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Pause. I, I saw Oprah one time say, you know, I, uh, I believe in God and I, I want to follow God. But then I heard... Um, somebody read scripture and it said that God was jealous of us, right? And I'm like, what? You read that wrong. Um, She said, I could not follow a God that thought I was greater than him. I couldn't follow a God that was jealous of the life that he had given me. That doesn't make God very great. And and, uh, if you read it that way, what she said makes sense but that's not what it says. He is jealous for you. He implants his spirit in us and desperately wants to be loved back by us, right? We're not robots that he just pushes a button and says, that person will love me, that person will... He doesn't make us love him. He yearns jealously for your love. That's how much he actually cares for you. That's how powerful he is. He is not only worthy of our love, worthy of our praise, worthy of our honor and respect. He wants it. He yearns for it. That is what God is all about. Being worshipped by his creation. And when you really think about it, God is God. That's not arrogant. That is loving Because he so wants a relationship with us. And I'm just blown away by that. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to destroy. He, he was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a town, such in such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and such boasting, all such boasting is evil. So whatever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is, it is sin. What's the theme here? What is our deepest need? Our deepest need in the midst of our constant pull toward making bad choices, our deepest need is to submit to the authority of God in our life. Submission takes extreme humility. The pathway to righteousness, living it out on a daily basis, the pathway to righteousness is humility. These verses say things like this. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. But here's what I don't want you to understand, okay? There's this song. We've sang it here before, but there's a line in that song that it says, loving the world, hating the dark. So it's not saying friendship with the people of the world because it is clear that Jesus wants us to love the people of the world, right? But what this is saying is friendship, a love for, a relationship with the darkness of the deeds of the natural world, right? The way that every person is born into this world, your natural sin-bent self, friendship with, a love for that, puts you at enmity with God. There is no way to love both. There's no way to love our sin and to love God. And so we love the people of the world. We love the world, but what do we actually hate? We hate the dark. We hate the dark. You know, I know when I need an extra do a dose of God's grace in my life, I, I pray this all the time. God, help me to hate my sin. Help me to hate my sin. Help me to hate my sin. And why hate my sin? Because God hates it. Because it will only ever drive me further away from God. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. We want to influence the world for Jesus, not letting the world influence us for evil. It also says that God longs for the spirit in us to worship him because he has put that spirit in us and he is jealous for our love, right? And then what does it say? He gives grace to the who? Say it. He gives grace to the, to the humble. The pathway to righteousness is humility. He opposes the who? The proud. Why? 
Because if you're too proud to understand your need for God to save you and to change you, you won't come to him. You won't run to him. You will constantly try to do things on your own. So we don't only need to make this personal. This is what we need to understand about the people in our lives who are lost, who are far from God. Until they come to a humility that understands I cannot save myself and the things that I'm chasing, that that fulfillment is only temporary. People need to understand their need for Jesus, right? Because God will always oppose the proud. And then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why? Because you are submitting yourself to God. It does not mean that you won't any longer be a target of Satan's when you are following him. As a matter of fact, when you're following Jesus, don't be surprised if you're even more of a target of Satan's because you threaten his kingdom. Right? But it does mean that you will be equipped by the Holy Spirit of God in you to continue to resist, to continue to resist, to continue to resist. The question is, what are you feeding on a daily basis? Are you giving in to the temptations of Satan, or are you feeding the Holy Spirit in you? Right? This is a serious question. This is why I bring this up all the time. Like, How much time are you spending with God? How dedicated are you to digging into his word? Right? This is not just something that we preach from because it's a good book. It says it is living and active. If it is living and active, you, filled by the Holy Spirit of God, have just as much capability to read it and understand it as I do or any of our elders or anyone else who preaches. Right? This is not a position thing. You are filled with the Holy Spirit of God to understand the Bible, which says all of our excuses are null and void. We need to make time. I understand it's hard, right? It's hard for me. I also know that when I go for a a long period of time without reading the Bible, I feel it. I feel it, (laughs) right? I feel the pull toward what is wrong, Verse 10, and this is where it, this is kind of the, the crux of the solution. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And then verse 11 and 12 go on to say, don't think that you're better than other people by speaking evil against them or wrongly judging them. And then in the last section, it talks about the fact that God wants us to acknowledge his role in every area of life, even the, uh, the everyday plans that we make. It is rare in my life that the plans that I make succeed, right? I remember um, when Heather and I got married, our plan was to be married for five years and then start trying to have kids. Uh, just so you know, there's only one way to never have kids. Um, and we were married, so that wasn't happening. Um, but... but uh, Five years, that was our plan, right? Like 20 days or so after our second anniversary, Judah was born. And we thought, okay, well, we had one. We might as well just keep going. And uh, it changed our life forever. Our plan did not even come close to working out. I think we had three kids by the time we had been married for five years. It did not even come close to working out. But so often when my plan doesn't work out, years later, I thank God that his did. Right, because mine was a lot less better than his. Mine w- 
would not have worked out so well, right? There's this movie, anybody ever seen the movie Evan Almighty? Okay, uh, it's, a, it's just a comedy, and so there's, Evan is, he's elected to be a congressman, and he's got a life, like he has plans for his life, he's very ambitious, and yet God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to build an ark because there's a flood coming, right? And so... And gets to this point where Evan just tries to resist. He's like, I am not doing this. I'm a congressman. I got work to do, right? And so the God comes to him, and, uh, and Evan says, God, this is screwing my whole life up. This was not a part of my plan. And God just starts laughing, right? And he's like, why are you laughing? I'm so upset. And God goes, you just said your plans, right? Because God understands that his plans are better than our plans. We can make all the plans that we want, but I can tell you this, years down the road, you will always be thankful for the plans that God has for you. So this, this chapter right here is essentially the gospel for us. The band, you guys can come back up, but here's, here's how it wraps up. This is essentially the gospel. Our natural bent is to pursue our own sinful desires that give the devil a foothold, causing all kinds of things in our life that are worldly and far from God. God is jealous for us. He loves us. He wants us to be in relationship with him, so he gave his son Jesus. And then we must be humble. It says in here that we, it, it says here, um, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What that means is that we are on our knees before God, repenting of our sin because we understand that our sin does not save us. We need saving from the consequences of our sin. That sounds like a bad thing, but there's nothing better that we can do than to humble ourselves before God, even if you are already a Christian, and say, God, I need you. I need you, I need you, because my actions are far from you. My actions are far from you. When we come to him and understand our need for Jesus to save us, he raises us to new life. The old has gone, the new has come, which means there should be change in our lives. Our small group is studying discipleship, and it defines discipleship this way from Matthew 4.19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and follow me is a head level change where we make a choice where a person makes a choice to humble themselves and choose to follow Jesus right I will make is a heart level change that says only Jesus can change my life no matter what I do to change my own life it will fail only Jesus can change my life so I allow him to change me and then fishers of men is a hands level change that says on my everyday living it'll change the way I live so I choose to follow Jesus I let him change my heart and then it on an everyday basis it changes the way that I the pathway to righteousness is humility. So we're going to have a moment now to um, just come before Jesus and to remember what he has done for us. And as we do that, um, we really want you to consider and make this personal. And so we're just going to give you a few moments before we start to sing for you to come before God in humility. And we need to do it too. Even as we're preparing to, to sing these songs, 
Every single person needs to come to God in humility and tell him, I need you. I need you. I need you. I do not want to live in the darkness. I want to live in the light. So help me to do that. So let me pray for us, and then we're just going to give you a few moments uh, of silence to begin to consider these things. God, we love you, and we desperately need you. I just pray for our hearts right now, God, that you would soften them, that we would be humble, that we would mourn over our sin, that we would turn to you, because only freedom comes in Jesus. We can seek it in everything else that we want to in this life, but it only comes from you. And so, God, help our hearts to be humble right now in these moments. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just, just bow your heads and close your eyes and focus your thoughts on God just for a moment, and we will begin to worship. sing one more song together and we are going to proclaim that Jesus reigns forever and from this moment on in my life I will make the decision that I am going to lift Jesus high, that in my humility I will make the name of Jesus great, that I will become less and he must become more. So Father, we pray that you would empower us with your spirit. We know you've promised that, so I pray that we would claim that promise as we leave this building, Father, and we seek to make your name great and that you reign forever and ever and ever. And your kingdom will never die. Your kingdom will never fail. So, Father, I pray that our worship now is a sweet aroma to you. We love you, God. Amen.